If you turn in your Bibles, Galatians chapter 5, I again want to remind you that in this church, we study God's Word chapter by chapter and verse by verse. We skip nothing. And so this amazing book that we're in, the book of Galatians, has spent a very, very long time pointing us to the centrality of the grace of God. Now we are about to get to a point in time where we're also going to see that if we are God's children by grace, that our lives should be marked by sinless living as much as is possible. But we finish now really Paul's addressing of the centrality of the grace of God. And so he's going to make one more statement about God's grace. And he's really going to do it in a way that he reminds us, you don't want to lose it. You, you don't want to give it up. You don't want to go somewhere else. You don't want to turn back to the law, back to legalism. You, you do not want to try and earn your own salvation because he who is a debtor to any part of the law is a debtor to the entirety of the law. You can't pick and choose how much of the law that you want to keep. If you say, I'm going to earn my own way, you've got to earn the whole way. Amen? You've got to pay the whole debt. And so Paul is going to now remind us, why would anyone want to lose what we have in the liberty by which Christ has made us free? And so I pray uh, that we will be challenged in our freedom and our grace. Because we are free. He who the Son has set free is free indeed. Amen? So we're free in God's grace. But we are free to live grace-filled lives which will always point us back to God it's never going to point you away from the Lord it's not going to cause you to be less holy it's never going to make you so that you you have no attention to the things of God and so Paul now will say uh, don't become entangled again in that yoke of bondage would you pray with me father we thank you for your amazing grace Lord, grace that has freed us from all of our sin, grace that keeps us in our daily walks, and grace that will get us home. And as we begin to still our hearts to come to the table of grace, Lord, this really is the table of your grace, where you brought unmerited favor into our lives because you paid the price for my wretchedness, my sinfulness, with your own blood, with your own broken body. And so God, take your word Speak into our lives through it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1, Galatians 5. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not become entangled again with a yoke of bondage. And so he's being very, very, very clear here. You've been set free by God's grace. You, you've been released from the bondage of the law. You, you've been taken from that place to where you tried to earn your own relationship with God and set free because Christ has given us a relationship because he died on Calvary's cross the symbols that are set before us right now representing communion Christ's blood Christ's body were offered for you in your place you do not need to earn your own salvation in fact you can't earn your own salvation no amount of beating you is ever going to get you into the presence of God. Indeed, I, Paul, 
say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And he's making a, a reference here. Remember that he's talking about those that we have referenced as Judaizers. People are trying to blend grace and the law. People are trying to say, well, let's keep the law too. And so he's, he's making an appeal to the one sign that everyone who would be a law keeper would have understood because part of the covenant with Abraham was every male needed to be circumcised. And so it was like the sign, if you will. It was the one thing that someone would look at and say, oh, well, you must be of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Christ will profit you nothing. If you're resting in that, as, as wonderful as that was, and make no mistake, God was pointing the Jewish people to the cross ultimately, but he was saying, look, this is what I want you to do. This is obedience unto me. There was nothing wrong with God's command. But he's saying it could never save. Circumcision didn't save you. Law keeping didn't save you. It is only grace that can save you. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor, notice this, to keep the whole law. Not part of it, not some of it, not the things that are easy for you, but the entirety of the law. And again, just simply refer back in your minds to what we know. This is not simply the Ten Commandments. This is the totality of everything that the Jewish people have been taught. This is how you will relate to God. This is every feast day, every sacrifice, every single yacht and tittle of the law was to be kept meticulously. If you are going to earn your way to God, the only way that was even known was the totality of the law, not part of the law. As we've already seen, if you fail at one point of the law, look, we're, we're not getting this. I've shared with you, you're not getting through the Ten Commandments. Forget the rest of the law. There's not a person in this room who is going to make it through the Ten Commandments perfectly. It won't happen. Because the moment you covet your neighbor's goods, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. Amen? So for every one of you who's ever saw somebody that had something that you don't have, and you go, man, they don't deserve that, I do. The law says you're done. You've got to keep it perfectly. Because there's no way to redeem that thought and so the sin itself puts you in the crosshairs of God's justice and judgment. You're done. It's over. And so Paul is going to speak into our life, and we're about to turn our attention uh, to the marvel of how his grace works in our life. But before that, he wants to remind us how absolutely impossible this is. Notice what he says. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. You walked in it and you fell away. And he's not talking about losing your salvation. More on that in a moment. He said, look, you, you, you want to walk in the law. The law has a penalty that comes along with it. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Amen? I'm waiting for righteousness by faith. If there's anything I can tell you about myself, is that I am a sinner. And I need a Savior. And I await the fullness of faith working itself out in my life. That is the only way your pastor is getting to heaven. 
I'm getting there because Christ died for me on Calvary's cross. I'm not getting there because I'm a good guy. I'm not getting there because I'm better than you. I can always find some of you who are worse than I am. But here's the truth. I can probably find some of you that are better than I am. Amen? So if, you're, if your measure is you need to find someone who's worse than you, you'll always find someone worse than you. You won't have to go very far. But that's not the standard. The standard is the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. Absolute perfection in word, thought, and deed. Now some of you are going, well, I, I don't actively sin. Hog washing. <laughs> because sin is not defined by you. It's not the things that you think you shouldn't do. Sin is defined by God. That which is in direct conflict with everything that his word has spoken into your life. Anybody fail to meet that standard? Absolutely. For all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in that boat together. And so we who love the Lord wait for that righteousness in faith. The same exact thing that we know about, guess who? Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. Amen? So he waited in faith. We wait in faith. There's never been any other way to get to heaven except by faith. Grace comes into our lives as a result of believing by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Well, what's Paul getting at in these opening verses? Look, what he's really trying to say is, is, is when I understand God's grace, when I yield to the Spirit, there's some things that are going to happen. I'm going to be other-centered. I'm going to live for other people. My focus is going to get off of myself and onto others. I am going to seek with every fiber of my being to glorify the Lord. Now, I want you to understand this. My focus in faith is now not on me anymore. You think that grates a little bit against our Western society and way of living? Because all we ever hear is take care of you first. Do what pleases you. Make sure that you are satisfied with everything that's going on as it relates to you. This is the reason for the destruction of marriage is selfishness. The reason we have problems with addiction, selfishness. The reason that we have the political mess we have, selfishness. Everybody wants what they want. Amen? That's the reason. And so in Christ, guess who we focus on? We focus first on the Lord, that would also be others, and then everyone else, and we ourselves then take the final seat at the table. Because that's what Jesus did for us. He came not to serve himself, but to serve others and to give his life a ransom for many. Amen? He gave up his life so that we could have life. He is the example of being other-centered. And so here's what happens. You see, the legalist eventually is going to rebel against that. 
because someone who seeks to keep themselves by the law will eventually bump into a law they can't keep. They're going to come to a place where they can no longer earn their own way, and guess what happens to them? Now they begin to wonder whether anything they believe was actually true. Because you know what happens when you test your flesh? You're going to find out that your flesh is very much alive. Amen? Eventually that will end up in a blatant disregard for the holiness of God. But what happens in grace is I am pointed towards the holiness of God. I am pointed pointed towards others. You see, legalism will succeed for a while. But here's the problem. Because your flesh is not dead, it will not sustain you. You can't do enough law keeping. And so all of a sudden you wake up one morning and you go, man, I am unredeemed. You you find out what Paul actually explains to us in Romans 7. I, I, I have a war going on inside me. My flesh and my spirit are battling one another. And so legalism looks like it can do something, but it only succeeds for a little while. And then guess what? You can't even keep your own standards. You've built a little club of one, and now you find that you're not welcome in your own club. (laughs) Right? Yeah, because you look at, well, I kept all those rules, but man, I got a new one, and I can't keep that one. You see, there are some core values, if you will, of the first church of legalism. I'll be okay if I just obey all these rules. It'll make me more godly and more spiritual. If I do all the right things, then I can kind of get there myself. Never happens, does it? Those of you that have maybe been down this road, you can say amen. I, I know I can say amen. I've tried to please God by works. You know, I've gone out and bought a bigger Bible because it's got to be more spiritual if it weighs more. (laughs) Pretty soon you're gluing two study Bibles together because it's really huge, you know, and then after a while you're going to get one that's in Greek or maybe you want to go back to Latin or perhaps you get a German, you know, you you could do all kinds of things and eventually you find out, you know, I still got to actually put this stuff into practice. That's the problem, isn't it? I actually have to live by what's in that Bible, and that's where I have a problem. This is the second core value. I actually believe I have the strength to improve myself. Anybody figured out that one doesn't work yet? In me dwells how many good things? None. Now, it doesn't mean you can't do good. But inside of you, you've got a war going on, and you and I will never make a set of standards that we can actually keep if we're following the Lord. Now, if I'm not following the Lord, then I make a set of standards I can keep so I can measure up to those standards. But they're not God's standards. They're my standards. And so then to even dumb it down further, what I do is I make my standards based on other flawed people. Guess how low that gets? A third thing. Compared to everyone else, I'm doing really good. Anybody been in that club? No, don't raise your hand. Yeah, we start looking at other people and we go, oh man, you should see those guys over there. 
people come along and they compliment you on your obedience or, you know, you actually memorized two verses this week. You know, you've gone through the Bible in less than a year. Hallelujah. And so people come alongside and they say, wow, you know, if I could just be like you. If you want to ever insult me, say that. I just want to be like, you do not want to be like me. You want to be like Jesus. You, you want to be like Jesus. Now, hopefully I, I'm, I'm like you trying to get a little closer to being like Jesus. But we want to be like Jesus. If I compare myself to other people, I, I'm going to go, wow, I am so awesome. <laughs> but in the quietness of my own heart, I know exactly how wicked I am. Amen? That's true for everyone. That's not just the person who just came to faith in Christ or is seeking the Lord right now. There is none righteous, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's a reason that Paul at the end of his ministry said, I am the chief of sinners. He didn't say that because he had reached finally this level of holiness to where everyone could say, well, just be like Paul. No, just be like Jesus. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. He didn't just say, follow me. He said, follow me as much as I look like Christ. Follow that. And the fourth thing. And here's the crazy part. Because when you're a legalist, this is exactly what happens. Now, if everyone would just be like me. Because I'm awesome. I am so holy that other people should follow me. But ultimately, you're actually saying to them, let me help spread bondage into your life. Let me help you stumble in grace. When you abandon grace and you turn back to legalism, you turn back to the law, you will absolutely always lose. You will lose. Because the law could never save you, and it still does not save you. What does a legalist actually lose? You lose your liberty. You lose your freedom. Notice what it says. Stand fast in the liberty that has made us free, and do not become entangled again there in verse 1, in the yoke of bondage. You see, the law, just like an oxen's yoke, is hard. Amen? Amen? It's hard. You put that yoke around your neck and you go only where it leads. And the law will not lead you to grace. The law will lead you to bondage. It's the bondage of works. You remember when Jesus was speaking during Matthew 11 and he said, I want you to take my yoke upon you, didn't he? What did he say about his yoke? His burden was... And his yoke was? Right. So when he said that, what do you think he was referring to? He was talking to a group that included some Pharisees. He was saying, look, your yoke is heavy. It's hard. It's burdensome. But I want you to take my yoke of grace on you because it's easy and it's light. It takes the pressure off of you. The yoke of the law, trying to be a law keeper by your own strength and through your own efforts will burden you down like you cannot possibly believe. Because every time you fail, and you will, 
you start to wonder whether you're actually saved or not. Why, I didn't keep it fully. God already knows that. And so he's made your relationship with him by grace and through faith. And even that faith is not of yourself, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, amen? We're not under that law, we're under grace. As a debtor to the law, you're going to lose all of your riches. And there in verses 2 through 6, you can see these things. You become estranged from Christ. You've fallen from grace. Your riches are the riches of the grace of God. That's the riches you have. That means Christ profits you nothing. You become a debtor to the whole law. You were rich in grace, but now you're saying, well, I don't want that. I want to become a pauper again. I I want to lose this spiritual wealth that I have by grace. Remember when Jesus gave the parable of the two debtors, and one owed ten times more than the other debtor, right? They're in Luke 7. They're both in debt. Now, in our humanness, what do we do? Well, the guy that owes ten times less, he's, he's good. Because he might be able to pay that debt. Remember what Jesus said? Neither could pay the debt. They both were still debtors. So it doesn't matter how much you owe God. You can't pay off whatever the debt is by yourself. You'll never have enough spiritual cash. And so this leads you to a very sad conclusion. If you're trying to earn your own relationship with God by the things that you do and the things that you think and the things that you would spiritualize, you're going to fall out of God's grace and you're going to start living in that law-filled existence again. Ephesians 1 verse 7 says that the riches that we have are the riches of God's grace. Now look at these things. That the riches of his grace is how we see his glory in our lives. The riches of his wisdom come through the grace of God. And in fact, the unsearchable riches of Christ, there in Ephesians 3, come by the grace of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's how you get it. It's not because you all of a sudden went to a bunch of classes, you went to church for, let's just throw a number out there, you've gone to church for 30 years, and you've come faithfully two or three times a week, and you've served in the mission field, and you don't tithe 10%, you tithe 11%. Because you're really going for it with God. You're saying, look, I I want to pay my own way. If you're trusting in those things, you're saying, I don't need the grace of God. Now, if you are a child of God, then you are going to do grace-filled living. You're going to live for the Lord and unto the Lord. Your life's going to be about Jesus. But the fact of the matter is, it is grace that transcends your faults. It's grace that transcends your failures. It's grace that transcends even your foibles, those things which are just kind of off a little bit. Without grace, you get stuck with you. That's not a good thing. If you are hoping in a totally redefined you, you're hoping in the wrong thing. I am resting fully in the grace of God, and that comes to me by believing on the only begotten Son of God. Amen? Amen. 
That's it. That's why when people come and say, well, you need to do this, this, and this. That's what the legalist says. What you need to do is believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Now, once you do that, I'm going to give you a little secret. Your whole life's going to get turned upside down. Because the Holy Spirit is going to be placed in your heart. And you're going to see the world from a very different perspective. And things are going to change. There's going to be a renewing of your mind. You're going to be transformed by the grace of God. All kinds of other things are going to happen. But make no mistake, you can't take step one without the grace of God. And when you take step one, step two is in the grace of God. As is step three through infinity. It's all God's grace. Paul gives us here some additional things to ponder uh, about the grace of God. And, and I want you to see these things from this perspective. As Paul speaks to these things, imagine yourself, you're, you're, you're driving down a street and you see the red light and you look both ways. You see no one's there. You think no one's there and you blow right through the stop sign. You, you go through the, you know it's red. What you don't know is just out of view is a friendly police officer. The lights go on, the siren goes on because you didn't go through it like a couple of miles an hour. You blew through it at 10 miles over the speed limit. And pulls you over. And here's what you say to him. Well, I'm not an adulterer. I didn't murder anybody. I didn't rob a bank. You see, it won't make any difference in that moment, will it? Because you are a debtor to the whole law, it does not matter that you keep the rest of the things. What matters is you biffed it and drove through the light. That's the legalist. The legalist says, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, but they get down to something that they are and they just overlook that. That don't fly. You need to remember that. If you're going to rest in your own righteousness, then you have to be like Jesus. Pretty sure we're all failing at that obligation, aren't we? That's why we need grace. I know I ran the light, but, you know, I'm really good elsewhere. There's one law, and that one law has many facets, and we are indebted to the whole law. That's why he says you're fallen from it if you try and keep it. You, you see, what that does is then you start working the right way. You start doing the right things. And so Paul is saying, look, real faith does real works. It's not going to be dead, just as we know from James chapter 2. In fact, in James 2.18, it says, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, if you're really a child of grace, your life's going to change. You don't have to worry about that. It is going to change. You're going to see things very differently. But make no mistake, you're a child of grace. And you're never not going to be a child of grace. You are always going to be a child of grace. That is why we need the cross of Christ. Because I can't earn my own relationship with God. Christ bought that relationship by dying on Calvary's cross for my life. He traded his for mine. And so now what happens is I want to live for him. Amen? 
I want the works that I do to say, I am a debtor to grace. Notice what Paul says in the remainder of this chapter. Pick up with me and we'll finish verses 7 through 12. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. And notice this, a little leaven, a little legalism leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you in the Lord that you will have no other mind. But he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is, and brethren. If I still preach circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I wish those that trouble you with their legalism would even cut themselves off. He gives us a couple of things to ponder right here at the end. I'm going to ask the communion team to begin to pass out the elements. And if you would be so kind as to take the two elements and hold them and we'll partake together towards the end of the service. Paul uses this image of a race. And I like to say it's a grace race. But that grace race has a lane that you have to run in. And we're going to be seeing what that lane looks like here very shortly in the remainder of this book. It's a space that the child of God runs in. But make no mistake, you have to be a child of God to run the race. You have to be saved in order to even be in the race. You have to be a kingdom kid to be in the race. I don't run to be saved. I run the race because I am saved. I'm resting in his grace to even be in. And so that's why he says, look, you you ran well. What, What hindered you? Why is it that you stopped obeying the truth? And what the Judaizers were trying to do to these Galatians was kind of cut into their lane. He says, you know, we're just going to bump you out of your lane. We want you to run somewhere else. We want you to be something else. You need to do something else. I'm either saved by grace or I'm not saved by grace. If it's not unmerited favor and it's some other kind of favor, then it's no longer grace. And so the Apostle Paul is reminding you and I of a, of a very, very central truth to who we are in Christ. We have to be very careful because we can fall from the grace of God and start resting and trusting in what we do for God. We can begin to think that somehow we're actually earning our own salvation by the works that we entertain, the works that we do. And so he uses an example here. He says, look, a little of this leaven will leaven the whole lump. A leaven does something very interesting. The reason this is unleavened bread is it represented the haste with which the Jewish people left Egypt. They did not have time to get their bread nice and fluffy. Do you know why leaven works? Because it's a hot bag of wind. Amen? That's what leaven does. A little leaven sits in your dough, and as it sits in the dough, because it is actually causing a reaction that produces gas, your bread gets nice and fluffy. Notice how this is not nice and fluffy. 
This is the bread of the Passover. It's pierced through. You'll notice that there are iniquities on it. There's little tiny marks burned. Jesus was beaten and bruised and pierced for our transgressions. It was not a hot bag of wind that saved you. It was the Son of God being broken for you. Amen? So Paul's saying, look, if you try and earn your own way, then you might be tempted to maybe bake your bread with a little bit more leaven in it. And he says, don't do it. Don't put yeast in it. Don't don't try and make it light and fluffy. It, It is a serious thing when we come to the table. You see, basically the motivation of people who try and walk by rules and regulations instead of grace, one could say is actually good. They would like to be a little more spiritual. But ultimately, the the actual motivation is, is they think they're better than everyone else. You you don't want to get there. You you don't want to be a, a graceless bag of hot air. You want to rest and trust in what Christ did for you, not what you can do for him. It's not wrong to have standards in the church either, and we're going to see that coming up next. God's standards are very high. But the only way I can keep those standards is by being a child of grace. Because his grace will change everything in my life. His grace will give me the power to overcome sin. His grace will work in me unto good works. His grace will cause me to be other-centered. It is his grace working in me that causes me to not be just simply a, a windbag, if you will, a bag of hot air. Before long, you become puffed up. Before long, you become proud. So this is what I do. Before long, you'll find yourself in, as a legalist instead of turning to the cross and going, oh, the wonders of the cross. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the king of glory died, amen? I didn't die for myself. I was not beaten for myself. It was not a spear that went into my side, it went into his side. He he took care of my debt. I did not take care of my debt. And Paul's basically saying, look, the reason I'm suffering persecution is because I preach the grace of God through the cross of Christ. He says it's the only way anyone can be saved. And he says something that's a little bit shocking. He says, I wish these guys would just castrate themselves so that they wouldn't have any progeny. That's what legalism does. When you try and earn your own relationship with God, you will eventually raise up others that think like you and others that act like you and others that try and do the things that you think they should do. And it is the grace of God that turns our attention back to the cross. It is the grace of God that brings us back to his sacrifice on that cross. The leaven gets purged out when I realize that I need him to pass over my sin. I I need the angel of death to not come to my house 
And the blood needs to be on my life. Otherwise, the angel of death is coming to my house. You see, what Paul is really getting at here is, why would you ever want to lose that grace? Why would you want to go on some long detour of trying to earn your own way when Christ paid for your sins at the cross? Debt was paid in full. Amen? It was not partially paid at the cross. Now as you think of the bread that you hold in your hand, let's let's wrap this in to this message of grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourself, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, it is a gift of, of God. Where was that gift given? Right there. The gift of grace was given at the cross of Christ. That's why Jesus, on the night that he would be betrayed, sat down at that triclinium with the disciples, with Judas sitting directly next to him, and he takes the bread. And, and I have always wondered, what were the disciples thinking when he said, as he breaks the bread, this is my body, broken for you. Now your Bible doesn't record it. This is my body, broken for you, receive my grace. And as often as you do so, do so in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread together. And Jesus said, in like manner, likewise, after supper, a similitude, a similar thing, a similar way for us to understand it. He took the cup. His body was broken for us. In a similar way, his blood was shed for us. Purchasing grace. Paying the price for my sin. All the way back to Leviticus 17, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. That is an Old Testament principle that Jesus fulfilled in the new. He said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant. My blood shed to do what Yom Kippur could not. Yom Kippur could only atone for. It could bring a temporary letter, if you will, of forbearance. God's going to continue on and struggle with us. He's going to go forward with us. He's going to keep allowing us to live out our lives. He's not going to extract the penalty of our sin at that moment. That's all that could happen on the Day of Atonement. But Jesus said this cup is the cup of the new covenant. My blood shed for you for 
the actual removal, the remission of your sin. The debt's paid. The price of your grace was the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus himself. Let's partake together. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray together. Jesus, the price of our grace we can't fathom. When we survey that wondrous cross upon which the King of Glory died, that you, Jesus, thought it not robbery to take upon yourself the form of a man and come to this earth and subject yourselves to the cruel and inhumane treatment of both the Pharisees and the Romans. But Lord, it was actually us. We, we may as well have been in that crowd, initially shouting, we do not want this man to rule over us. But because your great grace is greater than all of our sin, you cried out from that cross, it is finished. You cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why? Why is because we needed your grace. And you loved us that much. And so, Lord, we thank you for the price that you paid so that we could walk in grace. Thank you for the grace that saves. Thank you for that grace that keeps Thank you for that grace that will one day get us home. We ask these things in Jesus' name.